Welcome back to There's Something About Dolomite. I'm Brandon Jenkins, and this week, we're talking about the looks that made the exploitation era one to be remembered. We've all seen grainy photos from the 70s in a family photo album or circulating on Tumblr or Instagram. It's the way people were dressed that really catches my eye when I look back at old pictures of family members or get my hands on an old magazine. It feels like a time of expression and flamboyance. Like, coming out of the 60s, everything got bigger and more lively, especially for black folks. Flared pants, wide lapels, heeled shoes, bold colors, and of course, big hair. The looks were loud but clean, and in a lot of ways, the 70s felt like the beginning of something new, an America that began to obsess over excess and expression. And for black America, this also meant departing from white folks' ideas of respectability and order. It meant making a statement with your clothing and taking agency over how you wanted to be seen. I don't want to get in my car with this shit on. I'm glad y'all brought my clothes to me. You see what the guards give me to get out of jail in? You guard! I want you to take these cheap motherfuckers and wipe your ass with them. Oh no, Dolomite. We'll keep them here. You'll be back. And with the introduction of black exploitation, the films of the time also embodied these elements, at times pushing them to the max. Think about the iconic pimp look, top hats with the shades, three-piece suits, jeweled out canes, and the platform shoes. Movies like Shaft, Cleopatra Jones, The Mac, and Willie Dynamite have a way of isolating the time's fashion to live alongside the film's bigger-than-life characters. It was like, if the world is finally going to look at us, then we finna show out. The idea is exemplified as we catch Eddie Murphy's portrayal of Rudy Raymore transforming into Dolomite on Netflix's Dolomite Is My Name. We see him standing in front of the mirror trying to bring the super pimp to life. The looks play as much of a role as the characters do. Enter Ruth E. Carter, the Academy Award-winning costume designer whose work includes some of our culture's most iconic films. Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, Amistad, Love and Basketball, Sparkle, Selma, and Black Panther, to name a few. And let's not forget Babs. And in her latest film, Dolomite Is My Name, Ruthie Carter takes us back to the 70s with the help of outrageously colored suits, marshmallow shoes, and more. Here's a bit of what Eddie Murphy and Mike Epps had to say about working with her on the project. Yeah, Ruth, uh, she be having it looking authentic. She's the best in the whole business. And she's got the Academy Award to prove it. I've watched some of Ruth's work for years since she done Spike Lee. And uh, man, she has a real talent and real art to be able to have an eye and to be able to tap into a period piece like that and really dress people the same way. With a career that spans over 30 years, Ruth's work as a costume designer depicts the spectrum of black life, be it fact or fiction, historical or fantasy fashioning her into something more than a costume designer. She's more like a cultural archaeologist meets a style architect. With an eye for where we've been and where we can go, it makes perfect sense that she was tapped to helm the costumes for Rudy Raymore's biopic. And we're lucky enough to have her with us today. Ruth Carter, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I want to start off by talking 70s fashion. There was 70s fashion, and then there was black and urban 70s fashion. How do you distinguish the two? Well, there's a lot of very clear distinctions. Uh, There was the hippie movement where you had, 
you know, a lot of denim, you had a lot of embroidery on denim, you had, you know, this, this free spirit that kind of, you know, was born in the 60s and continued through the 70s, um, flower child, you know, twiggy, you had, you know, that look that mainly many uh, students, which you see in Dolomite, um, and people in the white community embraced more of the, you know, Annie Calzo earth shoes and, you know, um, a lot of that. So uh, there was also the Black Power Movement, which was also born in the 60s, continuing through the 70s, where it was a little bit more paramilitary and, um, you know, the Afro was a symbol of um, uh, reacquainting yourself with your roots and, you know, saying it loud, you're black and you're proud and empowerment and, and, you know, bringing community, the black community together in uplifting their voices and their sense of self and pride of self. Um, and then you had the, I would say it was more or less the, um, the urban dresser who went to see these films like the Mac or Superfly. And, you know, these were symbols of people who were entrepreneurial. I mean, you got to admit a pimp is an entrepreneur, a small business owner. (laughs) And, um, you know, he dressed to impress and, you know, if that culture, that pimp culture really was a defining of a, of an image and it created in a created image, a, a fantasy image. So, you know, you know, you'd have a pimp, him, his main, his, his name might be, you know, cotton candy and he would dress in pink and white and have a lace, uh, pocket square and white shoes, you know? And so he defined his image by his name. And, you know, that had a lot of other connotations as well, but, um, that's what, what the emergence of that pimp style was. It was, you could, you could be, um, fashionable and unique. And a lot of these, uh, a lot of the clothing was what they called tailored then. And you could go into a store, you know, in Harlem or in any city and, and get your custom made garments and get the details done with the way you wanted and whether you wanted to have contrasting pockets or you wanted to use a color that defines your name with powder blue or whatever it was, it was available for you. And that's, you know, in the seventies, it became a mainstream look. So when looking at this era of black exploitation, the entire movement, um, specifically film. How do you, what do you call it? Is, is black exploitation the right term to call that style of fashion and dress? Um, or have you developed another term over time? Well, you know, I haven't developed anything over time because I don't only do, uh, quote unquote, black exploitation films. I'm, um, I have done all kinds of errors and genres, but I do think that black exploitation is a blanket term for, 
you know, what happened during the 70s in film, especially black film and telling black story, African-American stories, urban stories, you know, there's all these terms that float around to describe that that time. So I do think, though, that um, uh, growing up in the 70s, I mean, I was a teenager in the 70s. And so I went to the movies and I remember all of those films, the, the Mac and Shaft, Superfly, I remember all of them. And I remember, you know, along with my five brothers, you know, being very excited about them. And, you know, now, you know, that we're past that time and what it meant to, um, I guess the urban community, the black community, what it meant to the black community was kind of like identity defining. It was a time of how to dress to impress. You know, we come out of the sixties and civil rights and, and, um, there, there are so many pockets of, of um, in the 70s, there were so many different areas where things were defined, uh, looks were defined. Uh, there was the hippie movement, there, there was the black power movement, and then there was this, um, this soul movement. And so, you know, I, I, I'm having trouble with defining that time as a black exploitation era, because it, that means that, you know, somebody took advantage of, of, you know, my community, um, in a way that exploited them. And, um, I remember that time, um, just in terms of the visuals and the impact and the excitement around going to see these films and remembering these films. And I wouldn't define it as being exploitive, but I know that that's what happened, you know, behind the scenes, you know, all of the revenue that, came from our excitement and came from our attendance uh, in the movie theaters was not reciprocated. It did not come back into the community. It, you know, it laced somebody's pockets out there um, that really wasn't, you know, in any way thinking about, you know, how to uplift the race or, or be positive for the community that supported them. You know, you brought up, um, just like the flamboyance and style and what it meant to, you know, look like a pimp. Um, I'd love to hear you break down what it means bringing that style to life uh, in your role. Uh, as a costume designer, I work with actors and they play roles that uh, that they usually work really hard to, um, you know, figure out what the details of the part are. And so, you know, it isn't anything that is... Um, you know, a blanket decision on my part uh, alone or their part alone. It's a collaborative process. Mm. And when um, I'm in consultation with an actor and they they want to play this uh, stylish dresser that has this quote-unquote pimp style, um, you know, it usually starts with a name, you know, like I described, um, and it usually, um, depends on what, you know, tones and colors that they want to use to describe that name. And, um, you know, there is some exploration in fabrics. I go find, um, dead stock and, you know, get that double knit polyester, um, to make those high waist pants you know, or those bell bottom pants, um, 
you know, a lot of times getting the coordination between um, the shoes and the and the and the suit and the shirt and the hat means that a lot of these things are custom made. And, you know, that's what happened in the 70s. I mean, there were some catalogs that uh, were available where you could order things through catalogs like Esquire and Eleganza. But um, today, as a costume designer, going back and recreating the 70s, it's definitely completely made to order. Um, occasionally, you can find a Hamburg or a Fedora um, that that works with the palette that you're creating for that particular outfit. Or, but most of the time, you have to if you just, if you want it just perfect, you have to make the shoes, you have to make the shirt so that the ruffles are the right size, or that the collar has the right points, and that everything works well together. It it really is something that you have to orchestrate. <laughs> So you're not just going to the mall and grabbing, um, I guess, wide leg pants or, or a, a blazer with wide lapels on it. No, I don't know when the last time you were at the mall, but you're not going to find that. <laughs> it's going to be something that that really, uh, I mean, because, you know, uh, stores, retail is trying to sell current fashion. They're not really trying to sell retro frat fashion. And there is some anachronisms in fashion. Uh, when I did uh, uh, Ike Turner in, um, and I dressed um, Lawrence Fishburne as Ike Turner in What's Love Got to Do With It? I actually, you know, started finding in a store a ruffle shirt and I was able to, you know, buy them and use them. And so every once in a while, um, there will be something that returns. Um, and if you're lucky, it's right during the time that you're prepping so that you can buy them. But mo for the most part, in order to get the perfect fit, you got to make it. So how was the search for finding um, pieces from the 70s for Dolomite is my name specifically? Well, Dolomite is my name was a combination of both made to order and rental pieces. We, I really wanted to um, put together looks that I remembered growing up in the 70s that we weren't walking around la pointing at each other laughing. I wanted to make a movie about the 70s that I remembered and it was pretty hot. It was pretty sexy. It was really wonderful and very unique and people had a, a very particular style about themselves and so when you walk into um the and watch when you watch dolomite and you see uh the patrons in the clubs and the nightclubs and on the streets it's everything i remember about the 70s it's everything that um, to me was uh, cool and current during the 70s. And then you have Dolomite. And Dolomite was larger than life. He was larger than the 70s. So I had to start from a, a solid base of rentals and authentic pieces that all the background and even some of our, our cast could wore and then create this character of Dolomite that was you know, larger than even that. And by that, I, I use very unusual um, uh, fabrics. Um, I really studied Dolomite's looks and, and recreated them exactly the way he had them because he worked hard to create this character. And so once I saw what that character was and we were going to be re recreating some of those scenes, it had to be exactly the same. And there were things, there were pieces that he had that I remembered too, that I really loved, you know, patchwork denim, 
blazer with with jeans that were flared and they were a matching patchwork denim and then the shoes were also patchwork denim and it all looked like it was all customized all all together and so it was really important to go down that road that I remembered as well and create this character from you know tailoring and we, we made all of his shirts we made the shoes and some of the hats we bought, some of the hats we made. Dolomite had an affinity to wearing um, the hats that matched his his uh, his clothes. Mm-hmm. And even some of his casual suits had a matching hat. And he had a mesh front in front of uh, some of his jackets where, you know, that was a very unusual to have the front um, part of your coat in a see-through mesh, you know. So we I knew that... He was custom making all this stuff. And so once I got it, I could actually create more. Well, what was like styling Eddie Murphy? Is there a particular outfit that was the most exciting or challenging to bring to life? Well, because I knew that Eddie Murphy had really studied Dolomite for years and years. And, uh, you know, he was going to uh, come to the table well-informed. I, I worked really hard to um, recreate Dolomite's costumes for him in a, in a way that would make him smile, like that's definitely this, the outfit he wore when he's fighting the detectives and they, you know, kind of hop into the back of the trunk. Um, so those, that, it was fun to kind of... Um, uh, meet his expectations in a way. Um, and, uh, but these, uh, uh, garments were, uh, really made out of the seventies fabrics, you know, and because it's really hard to get that look without, um, studying the fabrics that they're made out of and recreating them in some of the same fabrics. Um, so it was a little bit hot, you know, we were shooting in Los Angeles <laughs> in the middle of the summer and he's in double knit polyester, but, you know, I tried to give him a lot of the Kiana knit uh, pattern shirts and just let him be casual when he was Rudy Ray Moore and, and, and just a shirt. And, and so it was really fun to, um, have Eddie in the fittings because, we're kind of the same age and he remembered certain things um, like marshmallow shoes. You know, when I say that to some people, they don't know what that is. When I said it to Eddie, he knew exactly what a marshmallow was. I think I know what you mean, but can you um, can you put me on? Oh, yeah. Well, marshmallow shoes were super popular, very trendy. Um, both men and women had them. They were kind of unisex. They had a very thick uh, platform, spongy white heel. And it was, it, it was likened to a sneaker style before, before sneaker style really, um, happened. Uh, so you could wear marshmallows and they may have a like powder blue leather upper uh, part and a white platform, both heel and front, um, in this spongy white, um, material and then you'd wear it with your jeans and it kind of felt like you know some you know tennis shoes that you know are around now it was like that was the the style of the casual dresser yeah i i, I love that description um now we used the term black exploitation earlier but we'll just call it uh that time what do you that time that yes. time 
What are your thoughts on how uh, that time really moved the needle for black culture and style going forward? You know, you kind of hinted at it earlier saying it was sort of the um, creation. Um, Yeah. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Well, I just think that that subculture of the uh, pimp style, if you would, in the movies that um, that emulated that um, urban flair, that that guy who was a hustler, who had street knowledge, who dressed really cool, who cocked his hat to the side and had a toothpick in his mouth and wore, you know, colors that were much more vibrant, you know, green leather jackets with matching pants and shoes. Um, I think because it was such a uh, embraced choice uh, for our, you know, our heroes, if you would, um, our, our players, our actors, our films, it caught on. It became, you know, a trend. Mm-hmm. It was after Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. It was, you know, kind of more like, you know, Say It Loud, I've arrived and, you know, I'm just, you know, strutting my stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, with this podcast, we've spent a lot of time talking about legacy, kind of looking backwards and seeing uh, the traces of where we're at today. What are some ways your own work has been influenced by that time? Um, I think that my work is influenced by that time because I was always that little girl, you know, in the room. And I could see the, the people. I could see the person behind the clothing. And I knew um, the dynamic of that world and because it was my world and um you know it influences me today because as you go through i guess as i went through life i could see you know the misunderstanding or the stereotypes that were being uh, allowed and and misinterpreted and and so it influences my life in that you know I'm not laughing at you. I'm I'm directing a look that helps to define who you are. And it's not funny, but it can be if that's how you want to, to play it. I, I look at it more like a lifestyle than, uh, and, and that lifestyle goes back into different genres and different eras. So I look at it more like a lifestyle than I do um, a look. Well, as you mentioned, when it comes to fashion, it's all about choices. So for our final question, we've been asking all of our guests this question. When it comes to black exploitation films, what's your must watch? Oh, the Mac. Max Julian. It has everything. It has social commentary you'll learn about the 70s. It has the fashions, Max, you know, full length white fur coat and hat is amazing. Um, it, it gives you a snapshot of, across the board of 1973. So I would say the Mac. If you had to rank it on fashion alone, is that the best, is that the best film? Yes, by far. Okay. I'll go with that. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Ruth, we appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Make sure to share your thoughts about the show by tweeting our friends at Strong Black Lead. 
This show is a collaboration between Netflix's Strong Black Lead and Pineapple Street Studios. Special thanks to executive producers Jasmine Lawson, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Max Linsky. Shout out to my producers Akadena Shashagre and Jess Jupiter. Our original music is by Daoud Anthony. Tell your friends about the show. Make sure to rate and subscribe to There's Something About Dolomite on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And that's it. That's our show. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>